straight to the source. Your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen, or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views, and their big ideas. We're coming to you today from Camaragal land and we'd like to begin by paying our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Today we're talking to Ben Devlin who, along with his wife Yen, are the force behind Pippet Restaurant in Pottsville, a coastal town in the northern rivers of New South Wales. Pippet is a modern dining experience based around coastal and seasonal ingredients and wood-fired cooking, and one which has earned the duo a whole host of accolades, including being recently crowned the Regional Restaurant of the Year in the 2023 Good Food Guide Awards. Ben, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real honour. Well, I guess, first of all, congratulations on your recent awards at the Good Food Guide Awards, um, as well as winning Regional Restaurant of the Year, which is really an amazing accolade and very well deserved. You also uh, took home two hats. How did that feel? Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was very surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was very surprising. I think, yeah, we got nominated for Restaurant of the Year for, for, for the whole state, which, which is, is just amazing. insane. Like, it's, yeah, it's... So to be there and to see all those people and you know, spend some time in that room with um, you know old friends and yeah it was it was a it was a beautiful night um, and then yeah to come away with a with a win and, and and two hats was pretty spectacular like couldn't have, couldn't have asked for anything more it was yeah it was amazing yeah it must have felt like quite an achievement because um, as you said you were finalists and up against some incredible names and venues so so well done to you and the whole and Yen and the whole team. But where I'd like to start with chatting to you, you, you've had quite a career and you've worked at some incredible restaurants, both um, in Australia and overseas. But I'd love to start back at the beginning and ask where and how did you start cooking? And, you know, what was the spark that, that lit the fire for you? My first job was working at a cafe in Byron, which was quite handy for me because it was right on the beach. And it was just working for my next door neighbor, who was the chef, washing dishes, making burgers. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember my, my first day there. I helped them make a cake. They just sort of, please follow this recipe, make this cake. And then at the end of the day, there was a cake. It was done. And that was really kind of formative for me, I think, at the time, because it was the other work that I'd done was helping dad on construction sites. And it's kind of like a long payoff to see the thing finished. Whereas this was start with raw ingredients, do some work. There's a payoff. It's a done thing. You can see it and it's good and you can feel happy about that. So that kind of made me feel attached. Yeah, your handiwork is there to see and feel proud of. You've got that immediate reward. Yeah. So what, what I guess, then led you to explore that in a more serious way and, and, and think about it more as a career? Or did you think about it as a career at that point? Um, well, at, at that exact point, I was probably thinking more like I would like to shape surfboards. I was quite <laughs> interested in that. But I guess spending more time working and then also working with my cousins at the, the restaurant that they had in town eventually when they knew that I was capable to do some work, that kind of changed it a little bit because 
my cousins who were running the restaurant that their father started, they had sort of traveled overseas and done various bits of work and worked in really nice restaurants. So that was kind of, I guess, a bit of an insight, seeing the way that they worked and how they were talking about things and, you know, the experience that they'd that, that had, that kind of, I guess, led me to sort of see it as something that was quite exciting, something that I could do and, you know, have a really interesting life and career out of. So, and, you know, it, it helped that I, at the time, you know, I felt like I was doing a pretty good job. Like, you know, I, I felt like I was, you know, they were, they were saying that I was doing well and, that kind of encouragement obviously makes you feel like, oh, good. This, this is, you know, I, you know, I haven't always felt like I've succeeded at a lot of things in life. It feels like I'm succeeding at this, so yeah, let's let's keep going with this. You know, this makes me happy. Um, so that's quite quite fortunate. Yeah, and so you went on to do an apprenticeship. I did. So I I did the school based apprenticeship through high school, which at the time was all work at school, and then you would do a couple of weeks work experience through the year. At the time, I was still working at a couple of places around Byron. So that sort of let me finish my HSC and get me, I guess, the um, the school-based credits for my first year of my apprenticeship. And then when I finished that, I moved to Brisbane and took up my apprenticeship um, first at a place called El Centro, which is not there anymore, but was around for a really long time. I remember El Centro, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big place. But then I worked. I moved to a place called Lat Twenty Seven with um, a guy called Brad Jolly, who still I think has Alchemy Restaurant in Brisbane. Yeah, Brad um, and Angelica, great restaurateurs yeah. up in in the Brisbane. Scene. Yeah, yeah. I guess when I went to Brisbane, I can't. I must have been a, a good food guide or something. But basically, I, I sort of I, I wanted to find out. I guess not specifically what was the best restaurant but where were the best chefs and like El Centro came up Brad Jolly came up I purposely wanted to work for for him well I love that the good food guide was at that point in time your barometer for for where to start the search so there you go so let's fast forward from baking cakes in cafes doing your apprenticeship Mm. and working in some amazing places in Brisbane to um heading overseas and working at well let's face it one of the best restaurants in the world at Noma how how did that come to be um, I, so for a couple of years at that point, I'd been wanting to move overseas. I wasn't really sure where I wanted to, to be or what I wanted to do. I'd sort of been working for at the time I was, had been working for Brad at, at Lat 27 and then working for David Pugh at Restaurant 2 um, and then working with first Ryan Squires but then Kim Machen at Urbane. And, you know, various people that had kind of come in and out of those kitchens and I'd obviously heard a lot about working in London and that was kind of like the place where everything was sort of happening. Um, and a friend of mine had, I'd worked with in Brisbane, had gone overseas and come back. He had been working in London. He'd been working at, I think maybe he worked at Le Manoir for a little bit. And then he worked, he did work experience at Noma in Denmark. And he sort of told me about a few of them and Noma just sounded really interesting. I hadn't really otherwise heard of it. Did some research. I found that Rene had been out to Melbourne Food and Wine at that point. Um, there was a little bit of information on it. It seemed pretty interesting. I just sent them an email and just just asked, um, you know, what's what's going? Like, you know, can I can I do a stage? Can I come and, and do some free work? Because I've heard that, you know, we can do that. Um, and they just said, yep, that's fine. You know, come over. This is the intake date uh, for the next season. So I sort of went over and did a bit of traveling. So I sort of went there and I just sort of told them pretty openly, look, I'd really like to stay. I, you know, I'd like to, to, to live here and work here and I think it'd be really good. I worked really hard for a couple of months and just kind of kept prodding them along and saying, yeah, look, I'm really interested. I'd like to be here, you know. And then eventually they sort of they just gave me a job. Um, I was just in the right place at the right time. 
But then, yeah, it gets number one in the world and like the server crashes and they move it to a bigger server and the server crashes again. And there's, you know, a million requests for like, I think I was told that it was actually a million requests for reservations. And I was wow. like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem real. Like that's not the way that things work, but apparently it was. And that's crazy. Yeah, it went went yeah. crazy. Yeah. Again, the power of these awards and, you know, the attention that they, they can bring. So, so you spent some time there. What, what are the biggest things that you took away from that experience and, and, you know, still apply today or now? Um, well, I, I guess at the time leaving sort of Brisbane specifically, so I hadn't been working in Sydney or Melbourne, so I can't really speak to what the scene was like there, but I got the impression it was kind of similar in some ways the things that we were doing were very much focusing on, I guess, what was happening in, in Spain specifically, um, but just, just Europe in general. If you could get something that was luxurious from further away, then that was the game. That was what you wanted. You wanted things flown. You wanted Marin from WA. You know, you wanted the best Wagyu from wherever it was in Australia. And, and you know, you wanted to be getting those really premium ingredients, the Spanish ham and, and that sort of stuff. And I guess going there... It feels like, you know, it'd be very easy to come back and go, well, I want that Scandinavian stuff because that's what I was working with and that's really nice and interesting. But obviously, the lesson there was these are the things we use because they're special to us. And this is why we use it because it's special to this area. We're trying to talk about this area and what things are like here right now. And that, that I found really interesting. Um, and I remember coming back for a short holiday uh, when I was still working there and going to the beach and seeing like the herbs that I've been picking on the beach in Denmark that I'd never heard of, never thought of, never seen. And they were here. Some of, some of them were just here. And like, I've been going to these beaches my whole life. You know, I've been walking on these rocks my, you know, my whole life and I'd, I'd never thought to look. So that was kind of the big thing where it was like, what you see around you is special. You know, the, the things that happen in, in your area, they're, they're special. The, because they're happening there and to you and and telling the story of what those things are is you know the most you know important and special thing that you can do because it is bringing um, attention to people that need it whether it's your suppliers or you know producers um, or it's just giving people a good reason to come to you because what you have is special and, and unique is yeah unique to here it's unique to everywhere mm. you know everywhere has these things. And it's your job to sort of go, well, why am I, you know, why do people, why should people come here? Yeah. You know, what do we have? Yeah. Um, and that's, we, it feels like we've got a really good story to tell in this area because of all the things that we have, because it is very unique. But I mean, realistically, everywhere has that. You just got to, you've just got to like quiet in your mind a little bit and find it, you yeah. know, spend the time on it. So yeah, that was the big thing for, for me coming out of there. I mean, there's recipes that we were doing that I still use. There's um, you know methods of working and techniques that we would that I would use that I still use. But realistically speaking, it was just the way of framing the question. You know, what are you doing and why is it special? Yeah. You know, the way of thinking about what's happening. I guess. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's where the Australian restaurant and dining scene is now, but I think it took us a while to get there, as you said. And I've got a very clear memory of when uh, Rennie was here on a, a visit and he spoke at the Sydney 
um, Opera House. And I remember him saying, like, you guys have got the most incredible, unique ingredients here, but you're not using them. What's going on? Like, he just couldn't understand it. And I just remember that. I, th- I feel like that was a real turning point for Australia and Australian chefs and dining of, like, stop looking overseas and actually start looking in your own backyard. And I, I feel that that was a tipping point for things to change. Um, why Pottsville? And what what led to Pippet opening? So... I had been after after living overseas. I'd been working in Brisbane for a while with the thought of wanting to have a business. Uh, at the, the time, fairly happily, that business was going to be in Brisbane uh, because you know my partner was from Brisbane. You know, I, I'd already lived there before I went overseas, and after I came back, I was pretty settled there. After Esquire, I wanted to start a business straight away, and the one that I was going into sort of fell through, which, in fairness, is pretty fortunate looking back on it. I was just sort of approached about a job that I didn't originally have a whole lot of interest in um, at first, and that was Paper Daisy at, at Halcyon House. The concept of being in a rest in a in a hotel just did not really appeal to me at all. Um, eventually, like the owners were fairly persistent and and really really nice, and sort of having a look at it um, and having a bit of a think about it. Originally, it was sort of a bit of a short term thing, um, but yeah, I ended up sort of staying there for three and a half years, and that again, for me, was a really interesting learning experience because Esquire was was amazing to work in in Brisbane, um, working at a very high level, but it, and it was very singular in its focus um, and very uncompromising. And there's a lot to be said about that as, as a concept. But because it was very singular in its focus and it was very uncompromising, it didn't always make everyone very happy. Um, you know, some people, if they didn't fit within the parameters of what they were getting or what they would be served, then they would leave not necessarily happy with their experience. And life is too diverse for that, I guess. People are too diverse for that. Whereas somewhere like Paper Daisy is the polar opposite. It was whatever people want, they're going to get, and you are going to give that to them. Um, And you can can have your menu and you'll you'll think about making a very nice menu, um, and we want you to do something that's very unique. Having said that, if someone would like a tomato pasta, you will be making them a tomato pasta. And that was a very interesting learning curve for me. At first, it was kind of like, I'm not going to do that. It's the middle of service. What are you talking about? Like, I don't have time for this. There's something on the menu. They can order that. And that's not the way the game works in that kind of place. Um, So I didn't necessarily love that at first, but I think that was a good thing for me to learn, be a little bit more flexible with people um, and, you know, find a bit of a middle ground. But it certainly also led to me wanting to have this business and going, well, I do need to be flexible and offer enough things for people, but I do also need to say, we are doing the following things. And so I've given you plenty of options uh, and I can fit in a range of things, but these are the things we're doing. So it will work or it will not work for you. So it's, um, yeah, it was a nice way to kind of blend the two together. But basically it brought me back to the area and I kind of re- Refell in love with it and realized that I had a lovely upbringing. And if I wanted to have this upbringing for my family, then this is where I wanted to be. So we, yeah, we decided that Brisbane wasn't, was no longer on the cards and found a place down here. And Pottsville specifically was just the timing was good for the location and it works out pretty well. It's a nice little town. It's very quiet, but it's close to a lot of things. It's pretty central for a lot of stuff. It's close to the beach. It's near the, um, near good farming areas it's near the rainforest yeah it's it's a really nice spot and you found the site and you guys you and yen built the restaurant pretty much from scratch yourselves 
What what was that experience like? Um, it was interesting. I sort of so we we had just had our, our daughter Penny just before we got the keys to the site, basically. So that was interesting. Um, <laughs> what do they say? It, don't don't do yeah. all these kind of things when you've just had a baby, and then all these things happen. Yeah. You just have to like grab the moment. Yeah. Well, that's it. Um, Phil Wood came and ate here not long, like when when his partner Liz was pregnant, and they had just sort of signed on to Ursula's. And I, I remember sort of talking to them like, "Yeah, good luck with that shit. Like, you know, it's, it's going to be great." Um, but I had sort of like just sort of remember like giving them a card at the end, being like, you know, from from welcome welcome to the uh, child and restaurant at the same time club. It's it's fantastic to to induct you into it. But yeah, it was. It, I mean, it did allow me to have you know some nights off, which was good, but basically. To save money, I did all the tiling, did all the painting, did all the rendering. Dad helped with some of the furnishing because he's a retired carpenter. And we just kind of got really stuck into it, which was really good. But um, a little bit, I probably would do it differently next time. It also meant that I was very much in like tradey mode. And then when it got to the point where it was like getting close to the opening date, I had still like work to do things to paint, polish, clean, you know, whatever it was. But I wasn't in a really good headspace for like thinking creatively at the time. Yeah. So it was like, you're going to need a menu in two weeks. And like, oh, fuck, I haven't thought about food in, I don't know, a couple of months now. I don't really feel prepared for this as, as much as I would like to be. I don't, I haven't been going to the market as much. And so I would definitely restructure that. But then on the flip um, so yeah. side, you know, your your and Yen's stamp is 100% there. Your heart and soul went into it. And I think Tonya and I have been um, lucky enough to to dine with you. And you can really feel that in the restaurant, that it, there's that you guys are there. You're present even in everything that's, that's part of that experience. And I think that's something very special. Um, and I think that's something that comes from having been so involved in that process of bringing it to life. And your kitchen is designed around that incredible central charcoal pit and your dishes mm. sort of built around the flavours and versatility of wood fire cooking. Where did you first learn to cook with fire? Um, very small amounts of coal grilling at uh, Noma. It was, was, to be honest, the, the first time I'd, I'd had experience with it. But that was, I mean, they have a much better section for it now. But at the time, that was literally those small Weber rectangular boxes that like sit on the ground with little fold under legs it was two of those and like just briquettes so not even like a that. hibachi or like a kind of hibachi sort of setup no no, no. and like is it like outside <laughs> oh out the back right um, okay not it not in the kitchen okay just in the, in the back and that was minor at the time it was like just a little bit of garnishing stuff they weren't cooking like bits of meat or anything on there very minimal stuff but that was yeah good to kind of get into at Esquire, we had a slightly larger grill, which was which was probably the more of a yeah a bit more time working on that. But it was the grill at Paper Daisy, basically. And you know, at that point, I was I was the head chef of the restaurant. It was very much like just figure it out. Like you know, right. you've got a grill, just get in there and do some stuff. So um, I don't like I don't really necessarily want to say the, the word self taught because that's like seems a bit uh, over the top. But it was just kind of like just trial and error, just get in there and do some stuff. Things will work and things won't work and you'll just have to, you know, monitor it a bit better. So, yeah, a lot of trial and error basically. Um, but, yeah, the most of it was little bits of Esquire on a small grill, bigger one at Paper Daisy, and then now it's just, yeah, I mean, if you count Paper Daisy, it's sort of seven or eight years of 
working on a similar style of grill um, and just finding the things that work for you. Yeah, well, having sat at the bar to enjoy our dinner, Tony and I watched you cooking and handling everything on the central charcoal pit. And it's so intuitive, you know, you just you're in that moment, you're just, you know, you're really working with the flow of heat and the, the particular protein or ingredient that's on the fire. And it's an incredible experience to to watch. And the other thing that you do very differently at Pippet is your approach to ingredient sourcing and and, you know, the things that you will and won't feature on the menu. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we are a little bit strict on ourselves with what um, we want to serve. And um, that is, I guess that's a personal choice for us. And sometimes it's potentially making the degree of difficulty a lot harder than maybe it otherwise needs to be. I guess we've made decisions about what we think is a good representation of our area, what suits the style of food we want to serve, and what we think is, I guess, sustainable in, in, you know, in, in the right kind of ways. So we don't use a lot of um, farmed meat. We use duck. Um, we have used chicken and sort of poultry. Other farmed meats, I'm not necessarily personally opposed to them, you know, as a general rule, but I don't think they hugely fit the style of food we want to serve from a weight, you know, like from a balanced perspective. But also, I guess, I'm you know, mildly concerned about at least with some of the more intensively farmed stuff. I know that there is like some really beautifully regenerative, regeneratively farmed things in our area. There's people that are doing like such good work and what they're doing is the impact is minimal or they're actually improving their, um, you know, their environment, their, their surroundings. But it just it doesn't feel like the right fit for us. So as a personal consumer, those are the things that I seek out and I choose to, to eat. But as a business, they're probably not the things that we're going to be using as much. What we do have is, yeah, really good seafood in, from this area, which, again, we're pretty strict on what we use. We talk to the people from the Good Fish Guide about what is, you know, considered sustainable, what is considered, um, you know, use it, but maybe don't use too much of it and what you shouldn't use. And we sort of stick by those um, kind of guidelines. And that means that there's some things that, again, we just don't, use um, which would be nice to use potentially like say you know king prawns from this area which are stunning like you know the best and certain types of seafood or certain types of fish rather but we also just go well we know there's other stuff so we're just going to make our decisions based on that um and yeah it's probably a little stricter than it needs to be there's definitely producers that are doing amazing things that we potentially could be using that we maybe don't um but I guess it's just us saying, well, these are the things that we feel fit the best. We don't want to pass judgment on whether they're sustainable or whether they're working in a good way because that's not really for us to say. But what we do is what we think feels right for us yep. and our menu and our position. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, prawns are a no, which is a shame because I love them. But, you know, it seems like maybe if I want my child and you know maybe hypothetical grandchild to have them as well they could potentially use a minor break i guess yeah absolutely well as a diner i mean it certainly doesn't appear to to limit the the breadth or versatility of your menu and hopefully it, it sparks some questions with some of your diners that therefore you can then you know that educational explanation of why you're not serving those things i guess you know stimulates a question for them and a, a point of contemplation for them which i think is a really important part of um 
everyone understanding sustainability in the true sense of the word and, and the impact that actually that has on menus. And as you said, you know, you're surrounded by incredible produce and, you know, a real expression of the coastal area that you're in. So I love I love that approach to to the menu. And you also uh, fermentation is a big part of what you do as well. Is it, and is that something that you learned from Noma, or is that just a, a, an application of using produce to its you know greatest extent? You know, a kind of zero waste approach. Um, so when I was working at Noma, we were doing minor bits of fermentation. But to be honest, as a a chef in the like the ki- the kitchen in a section, it's not something we were really doing. Um, I know that like. When I was there, the test kitchen was starting to work on things like garum and, and some of the other ferments, but it was a couple of years before that was really implemented. So that was not something that I really saw in my time there. Um, so, I mean, I, I've they've put out a fantastic book, which has got some really great information in it, so I've definitely benefited from that, but it's not something that I learned when I was there. It's definitely more things that I've just picked up at sort of, by try again, by trial and error through the time Paper Daisy and here. And that was just very much sort of going, well, yeah, I don't want to waste these things, whether it's from a cost perspective, a sustainability perspective, or, I mean, I have this like, sort of like a, a burnt-in memory from, this is from Brad Jolly when I was doing the Nestle Golden Chef's Hat as an apprentice. And he was talking about, we were talking about, you know, what we might be able to do. And I think we had scallops and he was saying, right, yeah, get the scallops, take them out of the bag because, you know, they were in a bag um it's like if there's any juice in that bag keep that put it in the sauce because it's got flavor and it's going to add to it you know all these things have flavor and to be honest like the food we were doing at that time didn't have like we weren't really fermenting anything we weren't really doing any of that stuff but that concept of saying there's more flavor there like you can find it and 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 and, and use it um that's the thing that sort of stuck a little bit and so a lot of it is going right yeah these products have a lot of flavor. Um, you know, they they might be the stem or the or the, or the leaves or the roots or the, you know, the the spine or whatever it is. There's a thing with flavor, and there's a good chance that it's beneficial. So yeah. find a way to harvest it and get it in there. Obviously, there's some hopeful cost savings in it. To be perfectly honest, most of those cost savings are offset by the fact that it's quite labor intensive. So yes, you are getting a better return on the product you're spending money on, but you're also spending money on turning it into something. So I would say, in fairness, the cost savings are often negligible. What you do hopefully have is, again, a more unique product. You know, you've got something that people might sometimes buy, like other businesses might sometimes buy, but you've made it. So in theory, you've got a product that you can't buy because it's slightly different. Like say, if you're making a, a miso or a kimchi or a garam on a unique product, you know, that's a product that you couldn't buy. So that's a good point. But yeah. I guess from our perspective, it's just, again, it's just a larger part of the story. Yeah, you know, and building those flavor profiles. The flavor? Yeah, exactly, building those yeah. flavor profiles. I love that, you know, what you learned as a young chef um, in, in in those kind of foundational years and, and skills is what sort of informed that approach that you're taking now. And that, that's actually a really nice segue to, you mentioned the Nestle 
Golden um, Hat Awards, but also Appetite for Excellence. And you were involved in that as a finalist and a People's yeah. Choice winner um, in the early years of the awards when, when it first launched. Yeah, it was, um, the, it, was the, it, it was the second year. But, you know, yourself and Yen are, are really big mentors and supporters of young talent. And I'd love to, you know, hear what you learned as a, from those experiences as, as a young chef and, and how you apply that sort of mentoring and nurturing now as a business owner. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting one. Um, the first time I went in the, yeah, the, the golden chef's hat as an apprentice, I wasn't necessarily super excited to do it or it wasn't something I was like se- seeking out to do. It was something that sort of Brad said, you should do it. It was a team's thing. There was another apprentice at work and we did it together as a team. Um, he was quite keen on it. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was happy to do it, but it wasn't something I was looking to do. But I remember like, I remember having like not the greatest week at work, potentially, and not necessarily feeling like so great about what I was doing or my skill level, maybe. Confidence. You know, I was probably pretty low. Yeah, I was pretty low down the ladder at that point. And then I remember going and doing this competition and winning the, the state, you know, uh, award or whatever it was. And, you know, it feels bad. But I remember looking around the room going like, I've beaten these people. Like, yeah, that's good. Like, I'm, I must be okay. Like, I must be like working at a pretty good level, like by comparison. And, you know, you don't want to like, yeah, you don't want to like take this massive ego boost of going like, yeah, I won. I'm better than people around me. But it was like, I genuinely felt like I was very low. I didn't feel like I was at a good level at the time. And so to get that, to get that little bit of confidence is like, I'm actually not that bad at my job. This is pretty good. Like, you know, this makes me feel nice and help me continue along. So that was really handy. Um, and then, you know, meeting people from other states who are, yeah, in a different, in the same position as you potentially, but obviously in a different place and, you know, hearing that they had maybe similar experiences or similar issues and just having a chat and a drink and, you know, that was really nice. Um, That peer-to-peer kind of experience and community and connection. Yeah, because I wasn't really getting that at the time. Um, you know, when you're an apprentice, you probably don't have a lot of money, wasn't really going out, wasn't seeing other 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 hospitality people at the time. Um, and then, yeah, Appetite for Excellence. I mean, the first year I was in it, Ian Todd, who I think now is in like Fiji, but he had restaurants in Tasmania. And then the second year I was in it, there was um, Jake Nicholson, who's at Blackbird, and his now wife, who was in the front of house program. Penny, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, it, again, just like being connected with these people, Talking to the chefs, like I remember meeting Tetsuya and, you know, I remember the first year I was in it, I just qualified. You know, I was arguably too young to be in that competition. I was 21 and Michelle Rue was there at the awards night. I remember um, that, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, like he phrased the question when he was talking to everyone there, but he phrased the question like, how long have you been qualified for? I'm, I don't know. Maybe it was like a translation thing or like... It's maybe that's a very relevant thing in in you know in, in coming up in the, the French ranks, but it seemed like an odd way to phrase it. But it was like he walked along the line of everyone, and yeah, I was the last person in the line. It was like, how long have you been qualified for? I was like, you know, five years, nine years, you know, whatever. And I was like, six months, like uh, not not long. And he just laughed at me. He's like, you're a baby, like just kind of walked off. And I was like, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was uh, that was funny. Like a royal um, audience. <laughs> yeah, kind of cooking royalty. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it was... But what I'm you know, hearing we, from you is that it's a great confidence building experience. It's a great way to connect with other peers of a similar level and age. And, you know, it just opens your eyes 
to different experiences, opens doors to different connections. So yeah. how do you nurture your team now? How do you how do you try and give confidence to to the young talent that's around you? Yeah, so we're, we're extremely fortunate to have um, a range of you know young young staff members that have been with us for a good few years now, which has been really nice. And like my wife is the kind, Yen is the kind of person that if she, there's an idea, is she 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 went to university as a project manager, as a, sorry, as a town planner rather. She's done sort of work in project management, in design thinking and experience design for the Queensland Museum. So a lot of the jobs that she's had have been very much like, let's collate this information. This is what I see we want to do. You know, this is the, the project or this is the goal. So what are the steps to get to that goal? It's this, 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 and this. So start, do it. Like just take the first step. Let's go. Get the ball rolling. Yeah. And, you know, for, for someone like me, it's kind of like often you – you might feel like you're on low, the lowest rung of the ladder or you just like, you know, you look at it and go, well, if I just do my work, keep, keep my head down, you know, things will happen and it'll be okay. And that is like sort of true, but it's sort of not really true. Like if you don't personally take the steps, if you don't, you know, go like isolate what it is, the thing that you want, or at the very least the area you want and try and go, well, how do I take the steps to get towards that and actively push those things, then you may not ever, you know, go past those early runs. You know, you won't always get seen. Like you have to do that. Yep. So Yen's very good at setting up, you know, frameworks for, um, yeah, how can we teach people to idea? Like the, the hope is that anyone who leaves our business in theory is leaving to do their dream job or own their own business. Like that's that's the that's the dream for I us, love basically. That. Giving them wings so, to fly. Yeah. So how do we do that? And that was, you know, a range of pop-ups for people. Ideally, um, they use the space, they find an idea that they like, they do it as a pop-up. Um, we, you know, might help them to sort of like, how do you brand it? What does it, what does it do? You know, how do you charge for it? That sort of stuff. As a basic one, that is us running it with their idea, with the hope being that, you know, maybe sometimes it's you go out on your own a little bit, you take the branding, you take the idea, you charge the ticket price, you do the payments, you know, we can help where we can, but you know, it's, it's yours and you take it away and please make it work. Hopefully. So that's good. Um, but then also, I guess, yeah, just trying to look at training opportunities. You know, yeah. um, ideally, it's setting up maybe work experience in other places. Ideally, we'd like to sort of set up a framework where we can send a staff member away to work at another location. Maybe they also send one back to us, you know, so we continue to pay our staff member. They continue to pay their staff member, but both get to train in a different way. Each business is maybe not so like, um, stung by it like obviously you know just losing a person for a week you've got another person yeah. coming in both businesses so are gaining value yeah yeah and then obviously the staff member of yours comes back hopefully and you know they've, they've learned some stuff and they feel energized and they might bring you some new ideas as well because they've seen something and they think hey we can we can improve what we're doing now because these guys are doing that in a different way and, and maybe that works for us yeah so it's you know it could have a range of ongoing benefits yeah um i love that so trying to sort of yeah, trying to implement that a little bit. Uh, but then, yeah, just, just encouraging them to get out there and do what they need to do to achieve their dreams. Yeah. 
I love that approach. And, you know, I think what that really comes through strongly in your business as well is that incredible partnership between yourself and Yen and that kind of yin and yang of what you both bring to both the creative process, mm. but also the impetus to, to make it happen. And, and you are really incredible. Um, mentors and, and leaders in the inter- industry in that space of of giving people the the platform to then go forward and be successful and I'll never forget John Hem saying to to me and Luke when we um, first opened restaurant CBD he said you know if people want to go let them go give them your blessing let them fly and he said almost always they'll circle back and come back to you at some point in life you know they'll see the value of what op- that opportunity that you gave them and it, it's yeah one of the best bits of advice I've ever been given as a, you know, a a business owner and somebody, you know, wanting to see success for the next generation, which therefore, you know, is success for our, for our industry overall. We've spoken for a really long time and I'm so conscious of your time. Um, And I've learned so much, even though I've known you for so long and, you know, been lucky enough with Tonya to experience Pippet, um, which was such an incredible dining experience. And anyone listening, if you're in northern New South Wales, you have to absolutely make a beeline for for Pippet. One last thing I want to ask you about before I ask my final question is, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about these amazing fish prints that you do. I just love watching <laughs> yeah. them come um, to was, life. How did that... Just- Oh, so you v- listeners, you can't see, but Ben's just showing me a, yeah. a piece on the on the wall. But they are so beautiful. I just absolutely love the kind of almost the meditative approach that you take to them. Mm. And is that just a bit of another creative outlet? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's an artwork that I saw someone do. Or I saw I saw the artworks, um, and I I wanted one. I didn't really feel like I was in a position to buy one at the time, so I thought let's. I, you know, I have fish and time. Let's, let's, you know, figure this out. It is definitely something that I've found a lot of, yeah, joy from and, and yeah, sort of relaxation from. I sort of, at the moment, I've gotten a little slack on it because time's a little bit tighter. Um, but we've started doing some, some classes on it as well, which I is really good. That, we sort yeah. of did our first class this week and we've got another one next week, which is really nice. It's an interesting one because, yeah, it's, it's bringing life back to the product. Well, hopefully bringing life back to the product. Letting it sort of live on past, you know, its its um its date of uh, you know consumption. Yeah. Um, for us, you know, like the dream would be to have like loads of them done and framed, and kind of just cycle them around. Sort of, you know, this is on the menu, so let's put it up on the wall, um, and then you know it's not on the menu anymore, so we'll swap it with something else that's on the menu now. That is going to be a time-consuming and expensive process, um, and also. I like to sell them because, you know, it, it makes other people happy. And um, it's actually very interesting. Like, it's a very funny one. Like, the first time someone sent me a photo of an artwork of mine hanging in their house, it was this odd, odd bit of very pride. Like, this, like I guess people have been paying money to come and eat at the restaurant. And that's the same, more or less. But for some reason, it was like, you've, you've paid money and this thing is like, it's in your house. And you're going to see it every day, like, you know, unless you get rid of it, like, and it could be there for years. And I did that. And that is a really odd feeling. Like you obviously like it enough that it's just, it's just a part of your life now and it just stays there. And so that was kind of, kind of cool. I love that. You've just given me goosebumps just saying that. I mean, I think it's what, it's what art's all about, isn't it? It's, it's what, what um, brings you joy as the viewer of the art work and not, 
not just as the artist, it's what brings you joy, but it, it also um, is a memory of that point in time. So it has meaning and it has, yeah. you know, as you said, longevity, but also it, it just is, yeah, it's a reflection of, of something that happened and something that you have a wonderful memory of. So I think that's pretty special. Yeah. I enjoy making it. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a med- meditative process and, um, you know, we get nice unique ingredients. So we've, you know, done, you know, squid that we've printed using the ink from the squid. We've sort of tried making ink from charcoal and stuff like that as well to you know, bring it back to the sort of the restaurant and what it is. Made a really nice one for um, Michael from uh, Encore, Michael Stoddard. That was a dish from um, Benelong where it was, John, like John Dory with turnips and saltbush. And so we sort of printed these John Dorys on the page and made it look like they were kind of like eating these turnips that were printed on the page. And yeah, like a representation of a dish on as an artwork, which as a concept I really enjoy that has been on the back burner of like, I really want to do more of those and have, haven't gotten around to it yet. That's beautiful. But it also has made me look at the produce itself differently, you know, spend more time looking at it, thinking about the details of it, like the dorsal fin on a tuna, like getting in a whole tuna, the dorsal fin, not only does it retract back flat, but literally the skin actually goes right over it and seals tight. So it's like, it's like if you had a, a sports car with a rear spoiler that folds back underneath the car again. So the fish is the most beautiful, like streamlined thing. And then this, this dorsal fin just pops out when it needs it and then like hides right back down when it doesn't. Or, you know, the, the squid that's, you know, such a like ferocious hunter that it's got like a fish bigger than it stuck inside of it. So printing the squid and the fish that it caught and. Yeah, just looking at the product differently because I'm trying to think about how can I bring it back to life, basically. Yeah, I, and, and you're, you're looking at the aesthetic in different ways they, than you do as a chef as well. And I love the way it, it informs a different understanding of that product and, you know, the beauty behind its creation. And, yeah, you're an artist in many different ways, which I think is a really beautiful expression of, of what you do at Pippet and with these beautiful artworks and, and their longevity over and above, you know, the, the moment of taste that you get in a meal, you know, that meal experience. Yeah. So. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. My final question before I allow you to go. <laughs> Where do you think you'll be in five years? What's, what's the vision? Well, the, the, the long-term goal is the sort of um, kind of farmhouse restaurant in this area. Um, that, that would be where we would, would love to find ourselves. Um, obviously, the funding on that particular project is, is, is step one, a problem to solve, number one. You know, land in our area has not gotten any cheaper and the process of getting those things approved through council has not gotten any easier. Yep. So um, that's a challenging game. But the the ideal for us would be, yeah, this place that is growing some things. It's, it's allowing a bigger experience for the guests. They come and they can see the land. They can, you know, be be a part of it and feel a part of it for a while. And, and you know, us as a, as a business and as a family can sort of settle into it you know, really sort of put down our roots in a nice way. I guess I've never necessarily been the person that's wanted to have lots and lots of businesses, although obviously I can see a benefit to that. And, you know, it, it would be, I think, you know, I'd love to have the, the restaurant and an ice cream shop and a, and a pasta bar and that sort of stuff. But um, I think because I really like working, I really like cooking, I like, I like being involved. I kind of just want that one really beautiful thing and I want it to work really well. And then the other stuff, I guess, just kind of hopefully blends into it nicely. So 
yeah, five years maybe, hopefully. Uh, coming up to the end of our first five-year lease here. So, yeah, we've right. got, you know, maybe another another five years of, of trying to save some cash and, and, yeah. and find a way to make that work. We'll see how we go. Well, I have no doubt that if there are two people in this world that can make it happen, it will be you and Yen. And I can't wait to see that process evolve and, and see what comes to life. But in the meantime, myself and Tonya will definitely be making a beeline back to come and dine at Pippet, just so that we can not only toast your success, but enjoy another incredible dining experience. And as I said previously, just the heart and soul that goes into it is is so tangible in that space. It's a really, it's a beautiful thing to experience. So we very much look forward to that. Thank you so much for, for talking Appreciate. to us and to our listeners. Um, you have to seek out Pippet. You can look online at pippetrestaurant.com and you'll find them on Instagram. And um, yeah, the art prints, the book, um, everything that, that you and Yen do is just uh, such a beautiful expression of food and place. So um, well done. Congratulations. Appreciate and it. thank you for being with us here today. No, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some extraordinary guests lined up, and we'd love for you to join us again. Please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd love feedback, good or bad, or perhaps a guest you'd love to hear from. Please just let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of our Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.